I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Well, hello there, everyone. Welcome to the Live Wire podcast, the podcast about the Live Wire radio show. My name is Luke Burbank. I'm uh, your host of both of those events, not to brag. What we do here is we play you the radio show that you may have missed when it was airing on your finer public radio stations around the country. And then also, um, we, we usually add in some little extras, some things that we couldn't maybe fit in the broadcast. Uh, we like to read your emails when we get them, play your voicemails. Uh, also, when those are received from you, the Livewire podcast listeners. You know, I was just thinking this week, we need a cool term for the Livewire podcast listeners. I do this other show, it's called TBTL, and the listeners over there... Uh, we used to say long ago that we had literally tens of listeners, and now they, they refer to themselves as the tens. What is the Livewire podcast listener equivalent of that? Like, what should we be calling calling you out there? Livewires? Um, shock hazards? I don't know. I'm coming up with these off the top of my head. They're not good, and that's why we need your suggestions. If you'd ever like to send me an email and enjoy the moderate notoriety of having your email read on a public radio podcast... Uh, shoot me a line at, um, I guess it's drop me a line. I don't know if you can shoot me a line. Do whatever you do when it comes to emailing uh, by sending me a message at heyluke at livewireradio.org. Heyluke at livewireradio.org. We'll read your emails. Or you can always uh, give us a uh, phone call and leave us a message. That phone number is 803-597-2346. 803-L- W Radio. Uh, what show do we have coming up for you this week? Well, it was an episode we did not that long ago, uh, which we titled If Memory Serves. We were talking about memories. We had Sarah Vowell on the show, who who sort of goes into the, the collective memory of this country and writes about historical figures. Uh, we had Joshua Fower on. He's a memory expert. Um, I did an experiment where I tried to remember facts about members of the audience. 
And also, we had a couple of um, a couple of people who have been on the show a few times, Jed Arkley and Katie Watkins, who actually fell in love. Hold on a second. I had to close the window here in my office in Bellingham, Washington, where I record this part of the podcast because I don't know what's going on near my house. We're sort of near the Canadian border, and I don't know if there's if something's going on, but there are a lot of helicopters around all the time. They're always patrolling the border. Um, so I don't know if they're trying to keep people from getting into the U.S. from Canada or trying to keep the people in the U.S. from getting into Canada. Um, I don't know which direction they're trying to protect, but anyway, they're up there. You know, there's a whole thing in this part of the country where uh, the Canadian folks will come down and use, like, the Trader Joe's or the Costco or even the TJ Maxx, which are places they don't have, apparently, in Canada. It's like, really, TJ Maxx? I say this as a person whose little brother worked at TJ Maxx for many years. I have nothing but love for the TJ Maxx Corporation, but I don't know if I'd cross a national boundary or border to get to a TJ Maxx. Anyway, uh, sometimes it, it causes consternation. My other little brother worked at the Trader Joe's where a guy from Canada who's known as Pirate Joe will sometimes come down and try to buy up everything in the Trader Joe's. And uh, my little brother, Sam, who uh, until recently worked at the Trader Joe's just down the street from me here, um, he and the rest of the staff there were on high alert for Pirate Joe and his hench people and if someone was buying up too much stuff, they had to try to figure out on the fly if this was, in fact, Pirate Joe's work. And if it was, they had to kick them out of the store, if you can believe that. Where was I? Oh, right. We had a helicopter overhead, so I had to shut the window. Anyway, see how interesting it is that I forgot what I was saying there when this whole episode that you're about to hear is all about uh, memories. It was a good one, too, by the way. We also had a guy named Chris Offit on the program who... Uh, who wrote a book called My Father the Pornographer. It's an amazing memoir about his dad's very unorthodox way of making a living in their house. Oh, this is what I was saying about Jed and Katie. We had Jed and Katie on the show some number of, uh, I don't know, years ago, a year ago. And I'm getting stressed out that the music is about to end. I've been told that I need to keep this introductory thing to like one <laughs> rotation, one cycle of the music. We have exactly one minute left. So I'm going to, I'm going to be good good for my word, Robin Tenenbaum, executive producer. I'm going to wrap this up in the next, now, 54 seconds. We had Jed and Katie on the show. They didn't really know each other. They'd never been on a date. We subjected them to this New York Times um, fall-in-love questionnaire, and they did it backstage. Uh, the questionnaire, that is. Get your minds out of the gutter. And I'll be darned if they didn't actually fall in love. And now, well, I'll let you listen to the show, but we're having them back on like almost a year later to hear how it's all going. All right. That and so much more coming your way as the Livewire podcast slash radio show gets underway. I'd like an extra 20 seconds here. I'm a radio professional. From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience at Mississippi Studios in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire with New York Times bestselling author Sarah Vowell, memoirist Chris Offit, music from Sam Outlaw, and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, when he walks down memory lane, he uses Google Street View, Luke Burbank! 
thank you, everybody. Thanks, Jason Rouse. We got a great show for you. We're going to be talking about memory this hour, and we have a variety of uh, really fascinating guests who, who can talk about memory from some different angles. Uh, we came up with the theme for the hour, which is if memory serves, which is just kind of a fancy way of saying, like, am I remembering that right? <laughs> like, if memory serves, right? We have to say that because memory is really weird. We know that eyewitness memory uh, is the worst way to figure out who did what at a crime scene. It's almost always wrong when they go back later on. Um, we've probably all had that experience where you're in a bar and you're arguing with your friend about who was in that movie or who scored that touchdown or what that band's name was. And you're so sure that you're right because you remember watching the movie and seeing Bruce Willis do the thing in the movie. And if you had a million dollars, you would bet it on how right you are. And then somebody gets their phone out because we can't have any more mystery ever in our life. Nothing can be unknown for even a nanosecond. And someone looks it up and it wasn't Bruce Willis. It was Cedric the Entertainer. You, did, you didn't even have the right ethnicity, but you felt like you remembered it. Our memory does not actually serve us a lot of the time. Here's the uh, ironic part. You know what our memories are super good at? Remembering the embarrassing things that we have done. Memory, uh, like a steel trap on that one. Vivid, clear, super slow-mo, moment-by-moment memory of things that we've done that are embarrassing. But not the good things. Like, I don't remember the exact expression on my wife's face when we were saying our wedding vows. If I had to guess, I'd say probably growing terror <laughs> at who she was marrying. I, don't, I can tell you this. I remember the exact look on her face when I said to her one time during an argument that she should enjoy my company more because I'm a professional entertainer <laughs> and people pay money to be entertained by me. I'm gonna sit down for that one, just let that really soak in. That's a thing that I said with my mouth out loud to another person. My hope is that in the sort of back stretch of my life, I'm approaching 40 now, I'm gonna be 40 in a couple months, I will be able to create more good memories than bad memories and maybe those will slowly start to push out the bad memories. So my thought is let's start making some of those memories right now on this show. What do you guys say? Good. Um, let's, uh, all right, our theme this hour is If Memory Serves, uh, which is something that Joshua Foer knows all about. He's the author of a great book called Moonwalking with Einstein, The Art and Science of Remembering Everything. It took him from the United States Memory Championship to deep inside his own mind, where he learned to build things called memory palaces. Please welcome via phone from Boston, Joshua Foer to Livewire. Hey there, Josh. Hey, how are you? Good, good. So you are uh, really an expert on memory. You've studied it. You yourself have, have applied this idea of memory palaces. What does a memory palace actually mean and look like? Uh, it is an idea that sounds like it could have come straight out of a forehead story. The idea behind the memory palace is that if you can build an imaginary building, a structure in your mind's eye, you can then populate that building with 
images of things that you want to remember. And when it comes time to recall whatever it is that you're trying to remember, you just walk through that building in your mind's eye, and you can see those images where you left them. It doesn't sound like it should work, but it totally does. And you've actually used this. What is your probably greatest feat of memorization? I'm a science journalist, and I ended up entering this contest called the United States Memory Championship now a number of years ago and won the contest by memorizing the order of a shuffled pack of playing cards in a minute and 40 seconds. I would create an image, a wild, crazy, weird, funny image that I would associate with every card. And then when it came time to try to remember, I would visualize each of those images in a different room in a house and then just walk through that house and I'd be able to see those images where I'd left them. Why does the brain retain this information better when you're putting it in this memory palace thing? We have really incredible visual and spatial memories. If you imagine what our hunter-gatherer ancestors needed to remember, it wasn't phone numbers, it certainly wasn't decks of playing cards. So what they did need to remember was like where the, you know, saber-toothed lion was hanging out or like the route back to the cave, having a great spatial memory really counted for something. And so what this memory trick, the memory palace is doing, is co-opting our naturally very good spatial memories and using it, kind of hacking it, to remember all sorts of stuff that's not as easy to remember. All right, Joshua, we decided uh, that it would be a great idea to try and test this out. So what I am going okay. to do is I am going to walk down into the audience and I am going to ask a few audience members at random for some information about them. And then maybe with your help, I'm gonna to try to build a memory palace on the fly, live on public radio. And then at the end of the show, I'm gonna see if I can remember this information. How much time do I really need to create a prop? Can it be tacked together in under 30 seconds? Because that's about how much time let's, we have for this segment. Yeah, let's, let's give it a try. All right, let's try this. Sir, what is your first name? Winston. Winston, what was the name of your elementary school? MLC. What does MLC even stand for? Metropolitan Learning Center. Okay, you have to have a weird named high school, great. Yeah. Okay, hold on, give me a second. What, what, what city? Portland. Okay, Portland, that one will be easy for me. Okay, Winston, MLC, Portland. So I hope you're okay. picturing this guy next to Winston Churchill. That'll help you remember. Oh yeah, oh that's great. Okay, so yeah, Winston Churchill. What about MLC, what can I think for, um, MLC is, um, um, I'll come up with something, don't worry. And then Portland, that one's easy. What, okay. if you, what if you picture him next to Winston Churchill and Martin Luther King? Oh, yeah, but then uh, change the K to C. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. I don't know if you guys are liking this, but this is very fascinating to me. <laughs> and then Portland, that's easy. Okay, ma'am, what is your name? Emma. Emma, uh, where did you go to elementary school? Boise Elliott. Which is where? Portland, Oregon. Okay, good. This is actually going to work great. Uh, I feel like the cities are going to be pretty much a slam dunk. Okay. Uh, Emma Boise Elliott. So I got Winston Churchill standing next to Martin Luther King, except it's a C, in Portland. And I got Emma from that movie Gwyneth Paltrow was in, going to Boise, Idaho, which is actually in Portland, which makes no sense. But okay, that, that, I can work with that. Ma'am, what's your first name? Susan. Susan. Okay, that's my mom's name. I'm going to imagine my mom. No, wait, I'm going to come up with something different. Uh, <laughs> Susan, where'd you go to elementary school? McKinley. McKinley, okay, he's going to be standing next to uh, Churchill and MLK in this one room. Am I, is that, can that happen, Josh? Can 
different memories be living in the same memory palace room? Yeah, because I think you may uh, you may get confused about who's who. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to give it a I shot. I would put them in different rooms if you can. Okay, so there's three different rooms. Got it. All right. And wh- what city? Salem. Salem, like the witch trials, but of Oregon. Okay. Good. Great. And then, sir. Dennis. Dennis, what was your elementary school? St. Anne's. St. Anne's, okay. And that was where? Minneapolis. All right, I got it. I got it. Hold on, let me just one time through, and then I'll go back up on stage, see if I can remember this. Winston, you went to MLC in uh, MLC school here in Portland. Emma, you went to uh, Boise Learning Academy? <laughs> Boise Elliott. You went to Boise Elliott here in Portland. Susan, you went to McKinley in Salem, Oregon, and Dennis, you went to St. Anne's in Minneapolis. All right, let's see if I can remember it. Josh, what do you think the chances are that that I will get any of those right in an hour or so? I think the chances that you get any of them right are pretty high. The chances that you will get all of them right, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. But if you, if, you, if you did, like, 20 more of them, you'd be ready to enter the U.S. Memory Championship. Okay, well, let's just... I'm going to start here. If it goes okay, I'm going to call you about coaching me for the U.S. Memory Championships, okay? Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thank you. That's Joshua Foer from Moonwalking with Einstein, the book he wrote about memory. This week's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, a proud supporter of the Global Animal Welfare Program, because you should know how the animals were raised for the meat you're buying. More information at WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Livewire from PRI. We'll be right back. Hey there, podcast listener. It's Luke again. I want to take a quick, a quick pause in the action to tell you that Livewire is brought to you in part by Ergo Depot, makers of the amazing sit-stand desks and chairs that we use when we're making Livewire. Our office in Portland, Oregon is all tricked out with uh, furniture from Ergo Depot, which helps everyone just be at their absolute healthiest as they're creating this public radio variety show. And uh, also the desk I use on stage is from Ergo Depot. It goes to all kinds of different levels and heights. So I can be standing, I can be sitting, I can be doing whatever I want. Uh, they don't just make all that amazing stuff, though. They're also a certified B Corp. What's a certified B Corp, you ask, Luke? Great question. In short, a certified B Corp is a business that takes social and environmental impact seriously. So these folks at Ergo, they're not just making great desks and chairs and other things that will help you be your healthiest when you're at work, whether it's at your office office or a home office or what have you. But they're also doing this in a socially and environmentally conscious way. You guys, it's not a dream I'm talking about. It's Ergo Depot. That's right, one of the fine sponsors of our show. They walk the walk. They don't just talk the talk. They, how do I make this work with like a sit-stand thing? Stand the, I don't know, I'm going to keep workshopping that part of it during the um, next segment here. My point is Ergo Depot, they are uh, amazing, uh, there's an amazing company, they make amazing stuff, and they do it in an amazing fashion where they're good to the earth while it's all happening. You can find out more info or you can schedule an appointment to go to the Ergo Depot store by going to their website, which is ergodepot.com. Okay, well, I'm coming up with some catchy phrases for the next Ergo Depot ad. Y'all listen to this, okay? It's uh, more from our If Memory Serves episode of Livewire, including Sarah Vowell, some music from Sam Outlaw, and the so-called Livewire lovebirds, Jed and Katie. That's all happening right now. Welcome back to Livewire from PRI. 
All right, we're talking about memory this hour, and our next guest has made a practice of digging back into the collective memory of this country to produce fascinating books about the Puritans, the Kingdom of Hawaii, assassinated presidents, and now Lafayette, the French aristocrat who came to the U.S. as a teen and somehow ended up a hero of our revolution. Please welcome Sarah Vowell to Livewire. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Livewire. Thanks Thank for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Let's talk about Lafayette. Who uh, was this guy exactly? He was a French aristocrat. He was an orphan. He was 19 years old, and he came here to volunteer in George Washington's army, um, leaving his pregnant teenage wife back home in France. He was the uh, son and descendant of many generations of soldiers, and he showed up. He was like, I'm here, put me to work, and uh, he quickly established himself as one of uh, Washington's most trusted generals. When you say he showed up, like, where did he go? He gets off a boat, yeah. and he just wants to be... Trust me, no one wanted him to come, and including the King of France, who was trying... You know, when they were trying to stave off war with Great Britain, and they were like, no, don't just, like, pipe down. Um, his wife's family obviously wanted to stay because, you know, she was pregnant, um, and then he gets here, and Europe had been at peace for a few years, and so all these professional soldiers had been coming over to America in droves because they were looking for work. And by the time he got here, everyone was fed up with all these like obnoxious French people showing up, like "Make me a general," you know. But uh, he actually, all he wanted to do was, uh, you know, get in there and. Uh, he, he was just so brave and tireless that he, he proved himself pretty Because quickly. he got shot during his first battle, right? Which a lot of people would say means you're bad at being a soldier. Yeah. I mean, he was, he, he was just getting in there. I mean, he, he did get shot. That's true. But um, he, well, he was supposed to be recuperating, but he was so gung-ho to get back into the battle, he, um, his bum leg, he just wrapped it up in a blanket and put the other good leg in a boot and rode back to the front, you know? We're talking to Sarah Val. This is Livewire Radio. Her new book is Lafayette in the somewhat United States. You write somewhat united, and a, a thought that hadn't occurred to me about that period in our country's history was that for a long time, all of the presidents were just heroes of the revolution, right? And then eventually we ran out of those guys, and then it got kind of contentious. They got old and died. Right. And, um, I mean, some of my book is about when Lafayette comes back to the United States in 1824 as an old man. And it's this huge event, like 13 months, and, you know, 80,000 people are greeting his boat when he comes to New York Harbor, and it's a party in his honor every night. Um, it, was, it was one of the biggest events of the 19th century, and... Um, some of it was just affection for him and for his, he, he was very close with Washington and, and there was a kind of nostalgia for the revolution on the eve of the 50th anniversary of the revolution, but also there was this very contentious presidential election in 1824 and it was the first time Americans would have to elect a president who wasn't one of the founders and people were kind of scared, like, now what's gonna happen? I mean, I think we know what that's like when you have to elect 
a non-founding father as a president, things get sticky, you know? But that was the first time and everyone was, there was a little bit of a, there was some jitters about that. Turns out they were right to be worried. One of the things you write in the book, just as an aside, but it struck me because I've never heard anyone say it, you hate the Palace of Versailles? I hate the Palace of Versailles. <laughs> I just loathe it. Does anyone like that? I guess people like it because it's fancy or whatever. But yeah, it's one of the big things to go to if you go to France, or I'm sure part of Vegas where I bet they've rebuilt it. <laughs> I, I'm, I find it a little overdone. I, I have what I would like to call a Protestant aesthetic, you know, where I like things to be, you know, simple and straight lines and, you know, a nice piece of unvarnished wood. And that place is just all like silken flim flam and gilded nonsense and like over decoration and it's just over, over everything, you know. It started out as a hunting lodge. Well, I feel like when someone does their house in wet, the Westwood neighborhood of Los Angeles in the style of the Palace of Versailles, that is poor taste. But the original Palace of Versailles, that was just their groove back then, right? Can't you give them that? Yeah, I guess. Sure. <laughs> you know, at the time, if I, if I was an absolute tyrant monarch... And I had, and I was overtaxing my people to the extent that I could afford to cover everything in silk and gold. I guess I would have, but no, in fact, no. In fact, Marie Antoinette built this other like crappier little farm where she could go and she would put on like plain white muslin dresses and she would milk cows just to get a break. Like when Paris Hilton, Nicole Richie, milked cows on TV, like that kind of? I feel like your references aren't very public radio-y. Like... When I was reading this book, the whole time I was hearing you reading it to me in my head. I found it to be very entertaining and in a way comforting because hmm. I'm reading it in your voice, your written voice, and I'm also hearing your speaking voice and it just felt like, oh, Sarah's hanging out with me, telling me about Lafayette. Oh, thank you. I mean, there are some editing tricks about making your writing, you know, more conversational. We could go over later. Yeah. Like, you know, and I think... Just a breakout I, session, maybe I backstage mean, or something? I do sometimes. I do, when I'm writing, I read everything aloud. And partly, I think that comes... I was a musician as a kid, and I need things to sound right. Like, some sentences... I will, this is so boring, but you asked. I mean, I, like, I need things to sound right, so, like, I'll write a sentence, and even if it says what I mean, I, like, I'll need, I'll need another syllable at the end, or my, I can't go on, you know? So what does this look like? Does that mean that you then write, like, at your house, and you kind of pace around and read the things aloud? What's the process like? Yeah, there's that. Also, um, once I have done all the research, and I have, and have something in my head of what I want the book to be and everything I want to cover. Each idea or character or event or anecdote gets its own little note card, and then I spend like a few weeks on the living room floor moving those around. So it kind of looks like a little, you know, like on a cop show when when the cops find the serial killer's lair. Yes. And they go in and there's all this like stuff on the wall and like arrows and it looks like that. She was stalking a French aristocrat. Yeah. But like about Hawaiian missionaries or right. something. Yeah. Um, 
when you've been uh, touring around and talking about this new book about Lafayette, do you feel like uh, people know less about Lafayette than you expected? More? Is it about what you were thinking it would be? Um, because before I read this book... I've been doing this for a while, so I'm fairly accustomed to Americans not being over-informed about their history. But Lafayette's name is on a lot of things. Yeah, his name is on a lot of things. I mean, when I, I mean, it is amazing to me that he has become so forgotten, and he is more of a place than a person now, because, I mean, we were talking about that trip in 1824. I mean, he was the most famous person for going, you know, and even, like, I write about this one little uh, monument to him in nowhere, Pennsylvania, um, they built this like really dinky little monument to him in 1895, you know, so he's been dead for like six decades by that point, and 5,000 people converge in this like country road for the dedication of what's essentially a lamp post. <laughs> and so he was, I mean, he, there was a reason everything's named for him because he used to be super famous, and then for whatever reason, he's been forgotten, you know. Um, can we talk a little bit about uh, your days with This American Life, which is how a lot of people first heard about you? Okay. Um, you were one of the early producers on That's the program. That's a public radio e reference. <laughs> I well, feel like you're making progress. Okay. <laughs> you know, Sarah, you're a... Like, here's you, how you do it. So the other day I was listening to The Splendid Table, and I'm like, you know, I've never made LARB. <laughs> That's how you do okay. it. Okay. And that, like, there was this woman from Laos talking about how to make LARB, and I was like, oh, I bet I could make LARB, too. Okay. I got a lot of work to do before next week's show. Got to do a deep dive on Lynn Rosetto Casper. That's step one. And then find out what LARB is. It's uh, the national dish of Laos, Luke. Um, I've also got to learn what Laos is. I was actually in Laos, and my tour guide said, I gotta ask you, how did you hear about Laos? And um, I said, um, I guess... The splendid I, table. I guess I know about it from my country bombing it. And he was like, oh, you know about that? <laughs> it was like, I get, I'm guiding Americans all the time and none of them know about that. And I was like, okay, I get maybe not a lot of Americans are up on the secret bombing of Laos, but like the ones who actually go to Laos? Well, a good way to learn about our history is by reading Sarah Val's new book. It's called Lafayette in the Somewhat United States. Sarah, thanks for being on LiveWire. <laughs> McKinley. That's the, high, that's the elementary school. You see, it's all in the palace, you guys. This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines with 80 non-stops from Seattle. And this winter, they've added New York's Kennedy Airport. Now, the city that never sleeps is just a nap away. Alaska Airlines, keeping you connected non-stop. More information at alaskaair.com. Our musical guest this hour walked away from a successful career in advertising to follow his dream of playing country music. And thank God he did because it gave him the time to write some amazing songs, including one with possibly the greatest name in country music history. Jesus, take the wheel and drive me to a bar. Please welcome Sam Outlaw to Livewire.
I'm on my way through some kind of ghost town. I'm on my way back home. Wish that you could see this city just how it used to be. Burning with the fire of industry. We say you could feel life we once felt on these streets, but you can't. No, you can't. Cause I'm on my way through some kind of ghost town. I'm on my way back home. I'm on my way. Wish that I could slow down. I'm on my way back home. Nothing but a wounded highway There's no blood in these veins You hardly see a car, truck, or train There's no one left to say what happened But I want someone to blame But I can't No, I can't Cause I'm on my way through some kind of ghost town I'm on my way back home I'm on my way Wish that I could slow down I'm on my way back home I'm looking through the ashes In the rubble, rocks and sand But digging's got me nothing But some more dirt on my hands didn't see it coming never thought we'd see her fall maybe she was crumbling all along you see you could see my family just how it used to be burning with the love bright and free Wish that I could hold my mama just once more before she leaves, but I can't. No, I can't. No, I can't. No, I can't. No, I can't. Cause I'm on my way through some kind of ghost town. I'm on my way back home. Wish that I could slow down I'm on my way back home And I'm on my way Through some kind of ghost town I'm on my way back home I'm on my way Wish that I could go That's Sam Outlaw, right here on Livewire. Thanks, you guys. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. I just want to tell you about the Livewire podcast. It's pretty much just like the Livewire radio show that you're listening to, but uh, there are some extras. For one, we can play stuff we couldn't fit into the radio broadcast, because it turns out... 
internet space is very cheap, and we have a lot of it. So you'll hear bonus songs from our guest bands. You'll hear uh, written pieces and lots of other stuff that maybe didn't make it into the radio version of the show. It's also something you can take with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's right. It's absolutely free, and it's there for your convenience. If you want to find out about the Livewire podcast, go to livewireradio.org or go to Stitcher, SoundCloud, or any of the other places you get your podcasts. Okay, our theme this hour is about memory. And um, if you remember back to February of last year on this very radio show, we read this article in the New York Times about this magical list of questions that promised to make any two strangers fall in love if they, if they asked them. Do you guys remember this article? It was a huge thing in the modern love column. Well, we decided to put this to the test. So we grabbed two people who had never been on a date, we asked them to go backstage while we were doing the show and ask each other this list of questions, and it totally worked. <laughs> they fell in love. They live together now, and they're here with the latest on their lives. Please welcome the Livewire Lovebirds, Katie Watkins and Jed Arkley. Welcome back to the show, you two. Thanks. Thank you. Um, did either of you see this coming when we asked you last year to go backstage and run <laughs> this list of questions? Oh, no way. No, I feel like we just talked about the other day how different our lives were a year ago than they are right now. It's crazy how much has changed. Yeah, like I think in the a day, good way. In a good yeah, way. In a yeah. Great, yeah, in a in great, great way. way. I mean, I think the day before that show, we didn't even, we had no idea. And, yeah. and, it's, and now it just feels like, oh yeah, of course, we're living together. <laughs> like it just seemed like it was that, yeah. Yeah. So. Did, did you feel in the moment that something amazing was happening? Yeah. And yeah. we, we, we rewatched the video <laughs> on our anniversary and we're like, um, and it was amazing because it's like you actually see, we didn't say it at the time, but like that was, we were in love. Yeah. Like, and it actually was, so if you want to see love being created, like watch that video. It was, I just that think sounded really yeah. dirty. It's so, but like, well, it's so funny to see the difference between the first segment and the last segment because it was like clearly we're just giggling and crazy by the yeah. end. I couldn't even, t I'm blushing right now thinking about it. Yeah. But now, but now, let me ask this because you are both performers here in Portland, mm -hmm. you're improv uh, people, and there has been some suspicion when your names have come up, that this is just an elaborate, elaborate <laughs> bit that you are very committed to. Yeah, and our contract ends tonight, so it's been a real fun time. Yeah, yeah. thank you. No. No, that's, uh, people have asked me that a lot, and they yeah. said, oh, that's, that's a good gig you did. And I said, I've never been on stage less prepared, because usually I'm used to being on stage, and I'm, you know, I mess around on it but like when you brought us out that second time i felt totally like naked and vulnerable yeah and like, it, was it was it was hard <laughs> but then people thought yeah they thought but yeah they've thought we made it up but nope uh we're talking to katie watkins and jed arkley they are uh now living together uh they were forced to <laughs> go through a series of questions from the new york times by this very radio show livewire do you guys now feel pressure though for this to work out because it's happening in the public eye. I mean, you must know how Kanye and Kim feel. 
We we actually debated at one point like refusing to come on the show again. Like we we had said like you know what that was fun. It's real life now. But it's real life it's real now, life. Luke. <laughs> Obviously that that conversation didn't go far, but um, because yeah. <laughs> we're here. No, we're and we I appreciate you guys so much for making this happen. Yeah. All right, Jed and Katie, we are very very happy for you too. But we also know that living together and loving together is no easy thing. And it's important that you really learn about each other. So we've asked you each some questions earlier today about the other one and yourselves. And we recorded your answers. And now it is time to know how much you really know about each other. For trademark reasons, we cannot call this a newlywed game. And also, you're not married. Uh, so we're calling this the cohabitation examination. Whichever one of you knows the other one better is clearly more loving and wins the permanent upper hand in all arguments going forward. So this is going to be called Cohabitation Examination. Jason Rouse, uh, do you mind keeping score on this? I don't mind at all. Okay. So Wink. These, are real, <laughs> these are your real answers to questions that we asked you. You guys have not colluded on this, right? You don't know what the other person said. No. Okay. I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> Actually, this may be the beginning and the end of your relationship. We made it and we can break it. We may be doing it right here, right now. Okay, so question number one Jed, do you remember what Katie was wearing on your first date together? I have to answer that, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, okay, I remember it was fancy, and I remember it, was, it, was, it had a high neck. And, and long sleeves. All right. Any colors come to mind? Uh, black. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear what Katie answered about her outfit on your guys' first date. I was wearing, I had a flowy blue shirt on and some jeans and some sick heels. So that was pretty far off, Jed. <laughs> I guess I thought she was at a funeral now that I'm thinking about it, the way I described it. Um, do you remember the heels being sick? I do now, yeah. Yeah. Good answer, bro. Good answer. Good answer. Katie, what do you remember Jed wearing on your first date? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say a plaid shirt and jeans. Now, is that because that's what he always wears, or is that because <laughs> yeah. you remember him wearing that specifically? Now that I know his closet, yeah, I'm just going to go so for majority rules here. So you're taking an educated guess. Yeah. All right, let's hear Jed's answer to what he was wearing on your first date. A blue gingham shirt with my gray suit. <laughs> the gray suit. I don't think we can Boy, give either of you a point for that. Let's keep no. this game moving. Um, Katie, let's stay with you. Which one of Jed's friends likes you the least, do you think? I think that they all like me just the, the same amount, which is maybe moderate to a lot. <laughs> okay, but if you had to pick one you think is oh my God. more on the moderate side, who would you pick? Uh, As Pat Benatar said, love is a battlefield. Uh, uh, nope, no his, helping, Jed. I'm just going to say his mom. Wow. She I'm just kidding. Oh, that just got really me. real. It's happening. Me. She loves let's, me. Let's hear what Jed answered to that question of which one of his friends likes you the least. Maybe he said mom. I doubt it. Uh, they all like Katie. Yeah. Oh. Which is true. 
Jason, how do you score that? Because it's kind of like... She, it was her first thing that they all... I'm going to give it to her. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's a point. It's not really true, but I'm going to give it to her. They <laughs> do. All right. Okay. Uh, Jed, same question to you. Which one of Katie's friends do you think basically can't stand you? Uh, Carrie. <laughs> Jed's answer is Katie's friend, Carrie. Let's hear what Katie said. My dad. What? <laughs> My dad? Every time you guys are on the show, there's at least one moment where I am truly wow. speechless. That may have been that moment. Um, okay, no points for either side. Let's keep this rolling. They put me in a corner. They made me say something. All right, next question. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, Jed, we asked Katie what habit of yours will lead to your inevitable breakup. What do you think she said? That was easy. I'm oversensitive, and I move loudly. <laughs> All right, let's hear what Katie said. Probably the triple burp, the old one, two, three. <laughs> it's true, that would be but fair. But are you oversensitive about her calling it the triple burp? Because you may still be sort of right. It's technically a triple burp, but you should hear Katie burps like a truck stop, <laughs> like, like a truck stop waitress. We will, we'll get you separate Ubers home. Don't All worry, right, it's just fine. <laughs> We're talking to the Livewire Lovebirds, Jed Arkley, Katie Watkins. We made them go on a date on this show. It worked out great. Up until this point, I think we can all agree. They now live together. We're playing cohabitation examination with them. All right, uh, let's see. Katie, same question was uh, given to Jed about which habit of yours could likely break up the relationship. What do you think he said? <laughs> Please laugh nervously into the microphone. <laughs> we are recording this for radio. Uh, I um, I want to say burps too. Wow, a lot of burping going on in this household. Let's hear what Jed said. We're open. We're her looking at her iPhone. <laughs> I mean, oh. society, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have can, nothing. Can to Jed say. get half a point for a save? <laughs> I think turning that back on the society right? at large was a veteran I mean, move. I, you know, it's I'm going to because he's not doing great. He's not <laughs> okay. doing great. All right, here we go. We're in the home stretch. Don't worry, we're gonna get the nose up. Jed, what do you think Katie's favorite thing about you is? Um, I would say my sense of humor. Let us hear what Katie said. Probably the triple burp, the old one, two, three. That was the other file. I'm sorry, let me play Katie's actual answer. That would have been a sweet answer. I love it and I hate it. All right, here is Katie's actual answer. It's definitely his sense of humor. They're kissing on stage. I want the radio audience to know. All right. And, and Katie, what do you think Jed said his favorite thing about you is? Uh, maybe, um, I don't know, that I'm kind? Is that a... That is a thing. I don't know if that's a thing you do. I mean, it is a thing. Let's hear what Jed said. She's grounded and she's curvy and sexy. Whoa. All right. I should get a point for that. Jason. Let's give him a point for that. Do I get a point for that? You can't go to a point on her point. That's the point for her. All right. Jason, uh, as official scorekeeper, who won this round of a cohabitation examination? It was really close, but Jed Arkley won by half a point. Oh, congratulations. Jed loves Katie more. We'll see you guys back here in one year. (laughs) 
We'll see you back here Thank in one year guys. to hear how you're doing. Thank you so much. Right. Let's go habitation examining. This week's show is brought to you by New Belgium Brewing, certified as a mission-based B Corp since 2013, meeting requirements in the categories of social and environmental performance, accountability, and transparency. And speaking of transparency, beer is transparent. And so is New Belgium's seasonal brew, Side Trip, a Belgian-style pale ale. Now you have all the facts, people. Get more information over at newbelgium.com. We're talking about memory this week on the show, and of course a lot of us have memories about what our parents did to make ends meet when we were growing up, but our next guest probably has your memories beat. You see, Chris Offit's teeth were extremely crooked when he was growing up, but his father saw a way to pay for those braces and support the family in general. The plan was to write pornographic novels, <laughs> hundreds of them in fact. Chris's teeth turned out okay, the family dynamic not as much. All of which is detailed in Chris's amazing new book, My Father the Pornographer. Please welcome Chris Offit to Livewire. <laughs> welcome to Livewire. Thank you. This book of yours is really incredible, man. Congratulations. It's, it's riveting and unlike anything I've read. When did you first realize that your dad was writing pornographic novels or erotica uh, for a living? Well, I got an inkling of it when I was 12. My parents were gone, and he had an office, a home office that no one was allowed into. So, of course, when they went to town uh, now and again for a party, I hit it and hit it hard and <laughs> and there was a uh, he, there was a, a manuscript and a, and a page still in the typewriter and it had a title and it had the name John Cleave on it and right above it was his shelf of published books that said John Cleave so I, it dawned on me oh that is this is what dad's doing and his name was not John Cleave no his name was Andrew Jefferson off at the but John Cleave was his dad had 17 uh, pseudonyms however dad didn't see it that way he had one alter ego named John Cleave John Cleave had his own wardrobe and signature and clothing and John Cleave had 16 pseudonyms what are some of the more memorable names of these of these novels uh, let's see well there's one that was never popular with uh, my uh, my wife horny daughter-in-law <laughs> I think yeah that was not. Um, bondage babes, mm, asking for it, begging for it, not wanting. Uh, like, you know, there was, I can't even think of them. There were so many. Blunderbroad was one that was a, a parody of Wonder Woman. And, you know, these things were, it was the, I think it will be in the future looked back as the golden age of porn, really, because it was. Maybe he wasn't wrong then. Maybe he wasn't wrong. They were lighthearted and tongue in cheek and silly. A lot of them were. Yeah. Uh, time travel porn, which is probably my favorite one. You could, you, you know, you're married, you have dissatisfaction. Maybe you would like to carry on a little clandestine relationship. Hey, I jump in the time travel machine, go back, come back. I'll never get caught. <laughs> right? That is the most guy thing I've ever heard. Well, we have mastered time travel. Think about the implications of that. I am going to use it. 
to try to bag a lady. Right. Chris, uh, stay, stay where you are. We're okay. going to come back and chat more with Chris Offit. He's got a new book out. It's called My Father, the Pornographer. This is Livewire Radio coming to you from Portland, Oregon. Back in a minute. Hey there, podcast listeners. It's Luke again. Just want to take a moment to let you know a dazzling detail about Livewire, and that is that we are an independent operation. We are a bizarre, I would, I would argue one-of-a-kind public radio show out of Portland, Oregon, that doesn't have a radio station paying for it, that doesn't have a distribution network paying for it. The way that Livewire is able to exist every year is due to our fine sponsors and due to you, the Livewire listeners. What are we calling you? The Livewirers? That's not good. I got a lot of things to workshop, you guys. Just bear with me. You, the folks who like this radio show, and in particular who like this podcast, the live wires out there. You could be a live wire who likes live wire. Um, it'd be a great thing you could suggest to me, by the way. Hey, Luke, at livewireradio.org, if you have a better idea for how we describe the live wire podcast listeners. The point is, uh, there are a small number, but a generous number of people who have been donating money every month to this show. They're called our League of Extraordinary Listeners. And they've gone to livewireradio.org, and uh, they've uh, signed up to make a, a monthly donation of whatever feels comfortable to them. And that money, it gets all collected up, and it's how we pay our staff. It's how we rent the venues, where we get the equipment from, all of that stuff um, that, uh, that, that goes into making a public radio variety show. It ain't free. And it only happens because our League of Extraordinary Listeners. And we would love it if you would become one of those extraordinary listeners right now by going to livewireradio.org and signing up. I just found out this week from our operations manager, Lauren Masterson, the pride of the Twin Cities, that I was saying the wrong incentives. I was, I was listing the wrong things for what you can get if you want to donate on a monthly basis. And in fact, it's even better than I thought it was. If, if you feel like donating uh, $5 a month, you will get a Livewire t-shirt. I'm wearing one right now. I am not kidding you. You can't see it through the podcast. I'm wearing a Livewire t-shirt. They're so comfortable. They're stylish. And you're going to be happy you got one. You'll get a shout-out on this podcast. You will get insider information, too, on when we book new guests, when there's going to be some awesome person that you just really, really want to make sure you get to Portland to see. That's a $5 a month. $10 a month, you get a totes bag. That is a tote bag that actually says totes on it because it is totes a tote bag. Uh, it has a zipper. It's very convenient. I also use one of those in my everyday life. You get a shout-out on this podcast, and you uh, get that insider info. You'll be the first person to know when we have really especially uh, cool guests coming up on the program. And then if you are feeling real, real generous and you want to go $15 a month or higher, uh, you can get Livewire mugs, you can get a Livewire portable charger, you can get tickets to our shows, uh, a Livewire uh, music slash book club membership. There's all kinds of, uh, of cool stuff to be had by going to livewireradio.org. We want to thank, by the way, uh, some of our current members of the League of Extraordinary Listeners, Anne Skoog of beautiful Portland, Oregon. I've been there. It's a nice town. Also, Christy Moore of Portland, Oregon. I don't know if Christy and Ann know each other. If they haven't met, they should. Probably at a live wire taping. They'll bump into it. They'll be like, hey, are you Ann from the podcast? Are you the famous Ann Skoog? And Ann will be like, only if you're the famous Christy Moore. And then uh, 
You know, the rest, as they say, is history. Also, Marcy Meyer from DuPont, Washington. Thanks, Marcy, for supporting Livewire. I really appreciate it. Um, so those are some of the extraordinary listeners we have. Right now, we'd love it if you also could become an extraordinary listener of this show by taking like two minutes out of your life, going to LiveWireRadio.org and kicking us a couple of bucks. Thank you so much. All right. Rolling on with the show. We've still got an interview with Chris Offit coming up. And the 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 end to the mystery, the the payoff, the far end of the rainbow coming well, when it comes to the question of was I able to remember various random factoids about audience members in Mississippi Studios in Portland, Oregon. I started the show by asking for some details from these people's lives. And the whole show, like I'm gonna be honest with you. Hosting a public radio show on stage, you're thinking about a lot of things. you got a lot of plates you're spinning mentally. And whilst I was doing all that, I was also trying to remember random facts about these people in the crowd. We will find out how that went. We will find that out when we get back to the Livewire radio show right now. Welcome back to Livewire. We're talking to Chris Offit. His new book is My Father, the Pornographer. Was he proud of all of this material that he was creating, even though it was as he called it, titillators? Yes, he was proud of it. Uh, he wanted it, he, he had to keep it secret, but he also wanted to uh, be known for it. So it was a, I think it was a tough spot for him to be in, and, and this was an incredibly conservative uh, uh, community. Yeah, in where was this? Eastern Kentucky in the Appalachian Hills. Uh, dirt roads. Known for its erotica. Well, it's known, my home county is known for the woman who refused to issue gay marriage licenses. Okay. That's my That's home good. county. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of a, it was a necessary secret. He thought he was, would be known in the future for being the king of 20, uh, 20th century porn. That, he, he believed that. Uh, and maybe it's true. It's hard to know. Because he was a very gifted writer, and a gifted writer as a young person, mm-hmm. and won contests, and mm-hmm. also wrote some sci-fi stuff. I mean, he could have been George R. R. Martin. He knew George R. R. Martin. I mean, he knew all those, all those writers, uh, science fiction writers from the 70s. He wrote and published 30 science fiction novels, which gave him a, a, a public cover, so to speak, you know, a way to, to pass, at least in the, in the hills of Kentucky. I'm wondering, um, you write in this book about how when your father passed away, mm-hmm. you sort of inherited, in a way, all of this stuff he had in the house, just piles and piles and piles of notes and books. And mm-hmm. How uh, did going through all of those books and all this volume of stuff that he wrote when he was writing this uh, pornographic stuff throughout his career, how did that impact your thoughts about him as a father and your relationship with him when he was gone and you're just going through the material? Well, it gave me insight uh, into... You know, I wound up ultimately with a with a, a unfiltered access to my father's mind, and most adult children never have that. You know, you have a, a your parent tells you a story; they're telling you a story that they want you to hear. Dad wasn't telling this story. He lived in the same house for fifty years. He never threw anything away, and uh, I inherited it. He wasn't a great father, but but every writer deserves a bibliography. So my goal was to assemble a bibliography, send it to a science fiction website because I had so much wrong information, and then I found out there were 400 books. There were including 25 unpublished manuscripts. Dad's unpublished work is more than most writers produce in their lifetime. So I, I don't know why I did it, but once I started, I just thought I have to keep on going. And then at a certain point, maybe at a halfway point, 
how do you stop and go backwards? How has uh, your, your father's legacy affected you as a writer? Have you spent a lot of time trying to be not him? Well, I spent years trying to not be dad uh, to, you know, some degree of success. But really, uh, there's a winner where, you know, dad was obsessed with sex. He was. I mean, what he had to have been. There was a winter when I was in the middle of all this when I realized I, I, I am just like my dad. I'm shuffling around the house. I'm not leaving the house. I'm now obsessed with his obsession for sex. My entire house is a workplace filled with porn, just piles of it everywhere. And it was disconcerting. Uh, but I'm not him. You know, he would, let's put it this way. If I had died young, he would never have written a book about me. It's just a, it was a way of getting to know him and seek, uh, finding insight into him and me. The book is great. It's My Father the Pornographer. Thank it's you. Chris Offit's new work. Chris, thanks for coming on Livewire. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm walking back into the audience. If people were listening to the earlier part of the show, they know that we're talking about memory this episode. And I decided to try to use a technique called building a memory palace to memorize information about four random members of the audience. I know it seems so slick and so Hollywood and so smooth when I talked to them at the beginning of the show, you would assume it was a setup. It was not. I had never seen these people before in my life. I asked them their first name, the name of their elementary school, and the city where that school was. All right, sir, your name is Winston. You went to MLC school right here in Portland, Oregon. Yep, yes. Ma'am, your name is Emma. You went to something called like Boise Ed. Boise what? Boise Elliott. Boise Elliott, also here in Portland. Yep. All right, okay. Uh, it's like almost two for two. Ma'am, your name is Susan. You went to McKinley in Salem, Oregon. That's right. Oh, okay. And sir, your name is hard for me to remember. Uh, your name is, uh, is, uh, is uh, Dennis. Dennis, you went to St. Anne's in uh, Minneapolis. Hey, what the hell, you guys? That worked a lot better than I thought it was going to. All right, here we are at the end of the show, everybody, and it's uh, time for us to find out what we learned. This is where I'm talking to random people in the audience about what they learned in the last hour. Ma'am, what is your name? Eliza Crockett. What did you learn in the last hour? Uh, let's see. I learned that um, uh, Lafayette is all over the United States, but most people know nothing about him. Okay. Sarah Val is actually sitting in front of you. Was that the takeaway that you were intending with your Lafayette book? I've heard worse. All right. It's pretty good. Sir, you're sitting there with a look on your face that says, please do not put that microphone near me which is like, uh, like, I'm like a moth to the flame. What is your name? Edward. Edward, what did you learn in the last hour? I learned that it is possible to improve your memory. Is it something you might put into action in your own life with these uh, memory palaces? Possible. Possible. Okay, we'll take it. 
All right. That's enough learning for one night. All right, let's tell you who helped make this show possible. Thanks, of course, to our guests, Sarah Vowell. Jed Arkley and Katie Watkins, the Livewire Lovebirds. Chris Offit, Joshua Foer on the telephone from Boston, and music by Sam Outlaw. This show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodation generously provided by Provenance Hotel. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Jim Brunberg is our producer and editor. Laura Hatt is our producer. Our announcer is Jason Rouse. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom and Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director. House sound by D. Neil Blake. Thanks to Revival Drum Shop. Our development director is Kim Bergstrom. Our operations manager is Lauren Masterson. Our talent wrangler is Elia Unverzat. Additional funding provided by the Meyer Memorial Trust, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, and the Regional Arts and Culture Council. For more information about our show or becoming a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Luke Burbank. We'll see you next week. Public Radio International. Hey there, podcast listeners. It's Luke. We are just about at the end of the show here. Now, this is the part of the program where I would normally read some of your emails, but I have this sad note from our producer, Laura Haddon. She says, unfortunately, we have no new emails. <laughs> That's right. We have no new emails this week. Can you believe that? Hey, Luke, at LiveWireRadio.org. The, the cupboards are bare. We went to the cupboard. We opened the email cupboard, and then just there was like a spider web and a half of an apple core. So if you don't want me to feel a great sadness like I feel right now, send us an email, will you? And um, if it, unless it's terrible, I'll read it next week. I really will, I promise. Hey, Luke at LiveWireRadio.org. We do have a voicemail. It does happen to be from one of our staffers. It's from the aforementioned Lauren Masterson, who is our operations manager. I haven't even listened to this yet because I uh, am not big on prep, but it's been sent to me. I'm going to play it. Let's uh, let's all enjoy this together. Hey, Luke. Lauren, calling you from the Phoenix airport. Just stopped off a plane, drinking some iced tea. Kind of a rocky landing, not feeling super great. I'll tell you this, the in and out of places like Phoenix and Palm Springs, that is rough on the airplane. And you know why it is? It's because when the air is very, very hot, like it is in those places, you get these pockets of air that are different temperatures. And when your plane hits a big pocket of air that is, I guess, warmer than the other air, or maybe it's colder, one or the other, when you hit a weird pocket of air, that's when your plane really starts just galloping all over the place, just dropping like a stone. That's never a good feeling. But I'm always like, I, I try to really, I try to gird myself. I try to get really ready when I'm going in or out of Palm Springs or Phoenix for that exact reason. That's a little, um, 
It's a little factoid from me that you probably didn't care about. Spending the weekend with my mom for Mother's Day, but I thought I'd give you a call because I ordered that half juice, half spray drink on the plane. I was a little nervous. I thought the flight attendant was going to be pissed at me, but honestly, she didn't bat an eye, and the drink was amazing. So I thought I should give you that update as I'm out of breath trekking my giant suitcase down the ramp here in the hot airport. Anyways, hashtag Club Med, and happy early birthday. I heard 40 is the new Jordan year. See you next week. (laughs) There you go. This is what we're down to, people. We're playing voicemails left for me by our operations manager, Lauren Masterson, who, by the way, was referencing... Uh, a little story that I told uh, last week's show about a time I was on an airplane with my daughter and she got something on the plane. She was little. She was like seven years old and she got something that was uh, like juice. She ordered half juice, half Sprite. I got mad at her because I thought she was trying to be fancy or put on airs and I felt bad about it and then I had to apologize to her 15 years later. Uh, I'm glad to hear that it's really started a trend. Um, I think we'll have to name that drink the Addy Grace. You know, there's an Arnold Palmer, right? An Arnold Palmer that's like iced tea and lemonade. Maybe there can be an Addy Grace. Get on the plane next time and order an Addy Grace and see what they say. Um, okay, I guess that that's going to do it for the show. What do you know about that? Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back here uh, next week with more of the LiveWire podcast. Email me. Hey, Luke at LiveWireRadio.org, or call and leave a voicemail. Uh, That number is 803-LW-RADIO. I would love to hear from you on a variety of topics. It doesn't even have to be about LiveWire. It could just be questions about home remodeling, which I've been doing a lot of. I'm not great at giving that advice, but I'll give it. Anything you want to talk about, reach out and uh, and let me know. I almost said reach out and touch me, but I, I don't think we say that kind of stuff anymore. Uh, on the public radio and for and for good reason all right everybody enjoy your week uh we'll see you next week with more of the live wire podcast dear live wire when we first met i was really shy i had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person oh i'm sorry i didn't know you were here i was busy reading a review from one of our many many rapturously smitten listeners oh wait actually no sorry this is from elena anyway the point is uh it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review feel free to say really nice things about us and uh we'll even read them now and then on the show so you might hear your review of livewire read on the program itself Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show and then we can keep doing this for a long long time because we love having this job Uh, Thank you so much. If you've left a review and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.